Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 181st episode of The Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends call me JAG. I'm the CEO of The Atlas Society. We are probably most famous for engaging young people with the ideas of Ayn Rand in creative ways, such as our graphic novels, our animated videos, and now uh, music. Today, we are joined by a new friend and maybe a new creative partner, Akira the Don. A lot of you already know who he is, um, but uh, before I even begin to give him a full introduction, I want to remind all of you who are joining us on Zoom, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, you can use the comment section. Go ahead, get started. Uh, type your questions into the queue, and we will get to as many of them as we can. So Akira is described by Industry Press as the Western Hemisphere's greatest living pop star and a generation YouTube renaissance man. Uh, he's best known for his meaning wave universe and oeuvre that he describes as quote, a musical psychotechnology with the aim of helping listeners achieve their potential in their lifetime. Uh, in producing these releases, he's collaborated with Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Naval Ravikant, and most recently with us here at the Atlas Society uh, on the very first Rand-inspired Meaning Wave experience. Akira, thanks for joining us. Buen dia. That was nice. What a lovely intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> What a professional you are. So uh, a bit of background for those watching us. Um, I was put on the path of discovering Akira and his meaning wave after a fitness class in Malibu. Uh, it was during the cool down period. We're all in Shavasana and uh, playing is this just hauntingly beautiful music with the words of Jordan Peterson telling me to clean up my room. And I was just blown uh, away. Uh, my first thought was, this is incredible. My second thought was, can we do something with Ayn Rand? So I tracked Akira down in Mexico <laughs> uh, to propose a collaboration. I think we talked for uh, nearly an hour and a half. Uh, I have so many questions. I barely know where to begin. But um, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Uh, and what helped send you on the amazingly creative path and uh, the the artistic over of Meaning Wave? That's a big question. Well, the first bit's like small, and then the second bit's big, right? Uh, I grew up in the UK. I was born in the middle of the UK in the industrial wasteland of West Bromwich, uh, which is, yeah, it's an industrial wasteland. And then when I was like two or three, we moved to North Wales, which is the opposite of an industrial wasteland in many ways. And it's kind of, uh, if you think of Lord of the Rings, it looks like that. And depending wow. on what the weather's doing, it's either like Hobbit, the Shire, or it's Mordor, depending on what's going on <laughs> weather-wise. So I was like in a valley with like sleep mountains everywhere. And everyone spoke this weird language called Welsh, or they say Cymraeg, which I did not speak. Uh, mm. And when I went to school, they were teaching me English and Welsh, which was kind of confusing. So I guess that was probably influential on how I turned out. Um, yeah. hmm. but anyway, that's, that's so I began in that part of the world. And obviously, now I live in Mexico and I've lived, lived in the USA for like eight or nine years. And I've been all over the place. Were there were there uh, musicians in your life? Were there any early no. kinds of music that like what did you grow up listening to? Was it rap? Was it there pop? weren't musicians, but like my my dad had a uh like uh an incredible uh broad and uh knowledgeable sort of love of and um you know collection of music so there was always lots of music around and i always loved it and was fascinated with it apparently when i was in the process of not being alive like born yet what's the bit when what's that part of your life called gestation yes when i was gestating they went to see Adam and the Ants, and apparently I kicked along rhythmically. Oh, uh, wow. Adam and the Ants. That's a great yeah. story. Um, and then what about sort of any influences that shaped your your worldview? I mean, that put you on this path. Well, it's funny, right? Because a lot of the music, and you will know this about music, particularly, you know, the 
uh, philosophy or the politics or what have you of music is predominantly very left-wing and very, and I don't know, I remember it being very socialist. I remember hearing lots of Billy Bragg and stuff like that when I was little, talking about powers in a union and, you know, rich people being evil and all that sort of thing. Uh, and my parents were very much socialists. Um, mm. I had, here's the thing, I've, I've mentioned this recently in other things, and I don't know why it is, but I don't remember anything before seven. Um, and then when I'm seven, like, I remember being seven, and I remember, like, loving music and sort of art and drawing and comic books and things like that. Uh, and I got my first job when I was seven. I was uh, digging gardens for people and stuff of that nature. And I always had jobs uh, after I was digging gardens for people, I was digging holes and doing shrubbery rearrangements and strimming and stuff like that. I was doing paper rounds and then washing dishes and then working in pubs and so on and so forth. Like I always worked a lot and very hard. And then simultaneously, I was always very aware of what I wanted to do, which was to create uh, music and comics and stuff of that nature. Uh, so I was always working on that and doing that in whatever manner that I could. So I used to make little comics and um, first I would just make them and draw them and then I would sell them at school. Like when I was seven, I remember doing this and I also used to make mixtapes for people similarly. And if I liked the people, I would give them the mixtapes. And, um, you know, if there were a girl that I was into or something like that, but I would sell mixtapes as well. And I used to do these experiments with like copying loops of music from one cassette to another cassette and uh, dubbing things over the top of it and cutting the tape up and sticking it back together with sellotape and things of that nature. Because that was, all, I didn't have any instruments or anything, but I did have cassettes. So from as early as I can remember, I was doing these experiments with uh, cassettes and I was making mixtapes and I was sampling bits of spoken word and stuff of that nature off of the TV they had in the science block in school and things like that. So yeah, I was yeah. always doing it. So is it fair to say that the roots of Meaning Wave go back to that time or was there some, some other uh, experience that gave you that idea, the same kind of you know epiphany that you had when it came to the Ayn Rand Meaning Wave that you did? Well, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, that stuff goes back as far as I remember. And the other thing was I always loved books. So I was always reading. Um, and I was always very interested in ideas. And before I even knew what philosophy was, I was interested in it. And I always thought in that manner. And I always, when I got to the point where I was making my own records, I was always incorporating pieces of other people's speech or bits of books or bits of uh, speeches or movies or whatever, what have you into the music. Uh, I always loved that aspect of, say, for example, what was going on in, in the early 90s with hip hop, but also rock music. There was a lot of people doing skits, as they were known at that point, where they'd sample a bit of a TV show or somebody talking or something and use that to like set up the song. I used to mm. do, when I was doing my very early records, I'd have a couple of songs that were like song songs, then a song that was like like that. But I was like, what if that was the whole song? I just had music and somebody say one example I did very early was Jack Kirby, uh, who kind of who created the Marvel Universe pretty much talking about how he did that and how he was a conduit uh, for the divine and so on and so forth and how these characters just appeared to him fully formed and they just kind of came through him and so on and so forth. But also I love in that speech he was he was talking about his motivations and he was, um, you know, he loved the work and uh, he loved the imagery and what have you, but he was like, you know, and I, I had to make sales. I had to provide for my family and I had made great sales and that made me very happy. And that made the people I was working for very happy. And I made lots of sales, you know, so it was this combination of, uh, of creating wonderful stuff and simultaneously being, uh, you know, able to provide for his family and be paid well for doing that. Well, you know, I think that people uh, like to think of the, starving artist but um being an art entrepreneur is also kind of an artistic endeavor i mean both art and mm -hmm. um being an entrepreneur you have to be very creative you have to be very resourceful you're bringing something new into the world you know whether it's uh, a, a new composition or uh you know <laughs> this by our Mar marvel comics illustrator uh Dan Parson. So, um, so there is a lot of similarity. Uh, so since 
my first meaning wave was that Jordan Peterson um, song. Tell me how did that collaboration begin? Were you just reading Jordan Peterson and thought it was intriguing? Um, did he reach out to you? You reach out to him? How did it come about? Let me very quickly run across the room and turn you down over there. I've been very unprofessional. There's a speaker that you're coming out of on the other side of the room. It's a new studio. You have to have to Okay. Well, while he's doing that, why don't we play a one-minute uh, excerpt, the entire Meaning Wave. There you go. See, um, that was easy. Okay. See, uh, easy. But still, well, the Peterson thing was uh, in around 2017, I believe it was, I was living in Los Angeles, and I was DJing on Hollywood Boulevard most of the time, and I was playing in those sort of swanky bottle service uh, Hollywood Boulevard sort of places. Um, and then I would come back from DJing, and I would need to decompress from all the lunacy that I had just been a part of, uh, mm -hmm. privy to, and uh, contributed to. And uh, I used to have a projector, and I would put YouTube on and have um, people talking, uh, just running while I sort of sat there and decompressed. And uh, Jordan Peterson came on, as he often used to at that point. In around 2016, Jordan Peterson was just sort of appearing. And what was cool about when Jordan Peterson popped up was uh, he became known via uh, incidents of notoriety, right? Notorious incident. Well, a specific notorious incident in that case, which was uh, the C-16 protest thing, right? And the accompanying video. But then when you went and looked into Jordan Peterson, he had hundreds of hours of lectures on his YouTube channel, right? Hundreds and hundreds of hours of like fascinating lectures, uh, breaking down sort of mythopoetical, psychological, evolutionary, biological, et cetera type stuff. Uh, so you could put those on for hours, you know, they were cool. So I used to put those on. And anyway, I was, so I was sat there and he says something about how you should be a plumber. He's like, you should be a plumber, which is a cool thing to say. And it's an, it's an unusual thing to say. He's like, be a plumber, man, be a good one, but be a good one. And he's explaining why it's very important to, you know, all these positions in our society are all, all very, very important and useful, but you should do them properly and really, really well. Otherwise you're mucking up the universe, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was really cool and I should turn it into a song. Uh, so I did, and, uh, and people really liked it. Um, and that week, I'd heard James Altucher on a podcast say something about how you should quadruple down on what works. And that song I did was, people really liked it. It was one of the most popular things I'd done uh, recently at that point. That was like, fifth, what was that? 2016? That was like 16 years into my career at that point. So I'd been doing a lot of stuff for a long time. But anyway, so I was like, all right, let me try, try more of this. So I did a whole mixtape. And at the point that I did the mixtape, or it might have been when I did the first song. No, it was the mixtape, I think. Anyway, Peterson uh, came across it and tweeted it. And I uh, was very complimentary about it. Um, and then I decided I wanted to make an album based around his 12 rules for life. I was like, what if I could take this idea and really sort of uh, go deep into it and, uh, and turn it into an album, or just a song or a mixtape where things kind of flow around or loosely associated. What if I could make 12 specific individual songs that work as songs as records but also as as delivery mechanisms for this message which i find very useful and uh powerful and uh so i hit him up and asked him if he'd be into that and he was and uh and lo lo we did it and they've done <laughs> the rest and sense. the rest is history yeah until um, the point that uh, i actually got him to record vocals specifically for uh one track, which was 42 Rules for Life, because he'd never actually read that aloud anywhere. So I asked him if he could perform that for me so I could turn it into a record. And uh, he sent over two takes, and they were really good. Wow. Okay, so that's, that is a, a real uh, working collaboration. Hmm. Um, so when I first tracked you down in Mexico, I had no idea whether you'd have any familiarity with the literature and ideas of Ayn Rand. Um, and obviously I was thrilled to learn just how knowledgeable and passionate you were on the subject. Uh, so what is your Ayn Rand origin story? Did, did someone recommend um, her literature? Or again, did you discover it, you know, by interviews or videos? I've been trying to, I've been trying to remember that. She was always there. She's one of those people mm -hmm. who was always there. It's like, when did you first hear Nietzsche? Or, uh, you know, certain 
ideas and figures that had always been around. But I'd kind of gone in and I'd, I'd investigated her on a number of times uh, as a result of being triggered by having seen something. And I remember one occasion early was uh, I read somewhere, and it's always this wonderful thing about how haters do the, um, do the most promo for people. You know, Peterson right. certainly found this. His detractors made him what he became, you know, what he is today. And uh, in the case of Rand in this instance, I remember some people being very angry that Steve Ditko, who was the co-creator of Spider-Man, uh, was a big fan. Long time donor to the Atlas Center. Society. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Well, rest in peace. Uh, epic yes. human. Um, yeah, and considers himself, considered himself an objectivist and so on and so forth, you know. And uh, obviously he's a genius. And uh, I was interested in, well, what, what is this awful thing that he's supposedly... Mm -hmm that makes him a bad person uh, yes, and i was like oh yeah it's that it's heresy. that stuff which i'd looked and I'd, i was already aware of it from somewhere before i was like oh it's that but what i don't i was so confused for a long time as to why people objected to that so so much and why they considered it to be so awful um it took me a, a while to realize the terrifying truth of that but then the terrifying truth of that is in all her work anyway she's quite explicit about it but uh mm -hmm. anyway and then the other yeah, time I, mean... I remember oh go on go ahead no, go ahead. Well, another time I remember a uh, ninja from De Answood when De Answood first popped up, it did like 15 years ago or something. Are you aware of them? Mm -mm. They're a South, they're, they're a South uh, African uh, rave rap crew who blew up in a sort of mimetic fashion and, uh, and have been very big since, uh, very creative, very interesting. I remember in a very early interview with the uh, lead uh, creative force and producer rapper guy in that crew, DeAnswood is a guy who called himself Ninja, uh, him talking about how the Fountainhead was uh, a foundational work that allowed him, that kind of gave him uh, permission to do and be what he wished to uh, wow. in a way that he'd formerly felt guilty about. So that was oh, a kind wow. of turning point for him Easy. and made him able, because he'd been in a bunch of other bands previously, all of which had, had, had stalled in some shape or form. And he felt that the reason they had stalled and the reason that this one did so well was that he was able to let go of a bunch of self-imposed limitations as a result of uh, reading Grant's work. And I was like, oh, so I need to look into this more as well. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to have to track down that interview um, because mm. that is totally news to me. Uh, so now we're going to try to play. So as I was mentioning before, the, uh, the Ayn Rand meaning wave is uh, it's in three parts. It's in total about 14 minutes long. We're gonna to try to sample a minute of that. Um, we'll have to see if YouTube gets angry with us because um, it's copyrighted no, material. No, I yeah, let my so... stuff be used. Okay, I'm all right, well, let's- uh... I'm a hippie in that regard. I try, I try not to get <laughs> in the way of people distribute sharing and introducing people to my work. That seems silly to me. I, I, like, I like your way of thinking. Okay, um, Lawrence, give it a try. Let's see if we can. Uh, this is going to be from uh, My Treasures. So it's uh, the middle part, which I thought was particularly evocative. It is from um, chapter 11 of, uh, of Anthem. And you'll see it's uh, illustrated here. So let's give it a whirl. One minute. Amazing. I mean, I cannot, I don't know. <laughs> wow. Oh wow. my goodness. I wow. have listened to it I don't, probably a, a hundred times and I, I can't listen to it without getting um, 
goosebumps. I'm sure we've already put the yeah, the uh, link in all of the chats, but um, it is to me like mainlining objectivism. I mean, it's it's right there. It is the uh, it is the ethics. It is is the metaphysics. It is the epistemology. Um, all rolled into one. And uh, I highly recommend guys, if you haven't um, already listened to it, listen to it and then also go out and get yourself a copy of another artistic um, <laughs> adaptation. So uh, so let's um, talk a little bit about the creative process because I know we were going back and forth and then one day you called me you, you you were so excited you had been on the beach and you're like I've got it I've got it I can't talk now because I I, I have to go in and lay it down so talk a bit about it <laughs> well it's funny right because I'd had uh you guys hit me up and something happened with the communication wherein I don't know I can't remember what happened or I didn't see it till a year later or something of that nature uh, so I didn't get back when, after you'd first reached out. I didn't get back to you for like a year, which sounds like a typical like loser artist behavior. And I'm not, I'm very on top of things. I'm very I'm very professional and on time and stuff of that nature. So I don't know how that possibly could have happened. But either way, uh, fortunately, had... I'm extremely persistent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. yes, I was very impressed with your tenacity. And uh, I had Iron Rand on my sort of I hate to call it a to do list. I have a very powerful and epic uh, spreadsheet, which has my plans in it in the shape of form. And I'm, I'm working towards all sorts of ideas and voices. And the way I work with everything is that I will be working on a, essentially an idea that I have a number of different viewpoints on from different thinkers, speakers, etc. And then I will build upon that with the next idea and so on and so forth. And it's always moving towards other things. And Rand's been in there for a while. Uh, and then you you know you hit me up um and you were the one who suggested that i read anthem which i'd not read and i just it was on my list of things to read and i was aware that there was a section in it that was sort of a definitive encapsulation of her ideas and so on and so forth i remember someone had said like really you don't even need to read the whole thing you could read just like the end bit which i disagree with i feel that the setup is really useful uh but anyway I was reading that and I was maneuvering between a Project Gutenberg version of it um, and an audiobook version of it um, over, over a period of a week or something where I was flying around the place. I think I was in the USA or something. Anyway, um, and I, got, I was, yeah, that was it. I'd, I'd read half of it in the USA or something. Then I got back to Mexico and I went for a walk to the beach and I was listening to the end of it, basically. And as I got to the beach, I'm walking along the beach and chapter 11 comes on. And then as I'm listening to the words, the whole thing, I was like, oh, oh shit, this is the bit, isn't it? I had one of those <laughs> hair stand-up things because I could hear all the music and I was like, oh, that's the chorus, right? That just, the very first lines are obviously a chorus. And I was like, oh, this is now, it's another song. As it moves to the middle, this is a completely different, so this is a different song. And this is where it takes this dark turn. And I was like, yeah. oh, imagine if it becomes all triumphant and glorious at the end. Oh, my God, it does get all triumphant <laughs> and glorious and transcendent at the end. Oh, I know exactly what this sounds like and what it is. And I had it in my head and I had to like, leg it back uh, to get to the studio and get it out before it sort of faded away, as these things can do, if you do not nail them down in time, you know. So yeah. Anyway, yeah oh, that was how that, that went. That uh, and. Guys, again, thank everybody for patience. I am going to get to your questions. As you can see, I'm very passionate. Some might say a little obsessed uh, about um, Akira's music and about this artist. Uh, but, you know, that spreadsheet, because I remember when we first talked and um, I had, you know, said, well, look, we have a gala. It's coming up in uh you know, I don't know how it was like four months or five months at the time. And um, I would like to premiere this at the gala. And you were like, well, I plan my projects out like years in advance. And it was like, I might be able to get to this in uh, a couple of years. I'm like, no, we have to do this <laughs> now. So um, yeah, why did we make uh, the cut and get you to uh, take take a pause on on your schedule. 
Well, it wasn't deliberate. It was like, oh, I could, we could, you were like, oh, we could do a live show or something. I was like, well, that'd be cool. It'd be nice to go back to the USA after I got so yeah. unceremoniously locked out of there a couple of years ago for the hideous crime of being unvaccinated. Um, and I need, you know, they just lifted that and it was like, well, that'd be a nice reason to pop back um, to do a show. I could put together something and it wouldn't take too long and it could be cool. And there's all these, I have all these things already that, I, you know, like I'd said, bits of brand stuff that I wanted to use. Uh, but then when I read and experienced that part of Anthem, it was that, well, it's not a little thing now. After This is actually a, sort of a three-track EP, and I need to get a string section involved, and this, that, and the other needs to occur. Uh, but it was one of those ones where it's like, but this is... Sometimes you have to make room for inspiration. Right, right. right? I, and I always have that kind of in... Say I've got the next year planned out. And I've got a, I've got some room in that wiggle room in there for inspiration. Something might suddenly occur that's very very powerful, and it's very very necessary that you do that there and then. Uh, that was one of my favorite little lines from one of the Naval records I did, uh, where he says, "Inspiration is perishable. When you have your inspiration, do it right then and there." And I found that really to be true. You could, if you don't take advantage of uh, that flash of glory when it appears to you, you it, it may not, it, you may not be able to re create it, rekindle it, or even remember it. So Yeah, it's, you know, that. it's interesting. Also, there's the fact that you are a very professional, and you guys are a very <laughs> professional operation, and you pay pr correctly, and that's very important. You know what I mean? So uh, hey, the, we're the capitalists. whole thing. We're exactly. So the whole thing. We, we have <laughs> extremely high uh, respect for artists, and um, we were just... I was just trying to explain this to my son. Well, he doesn't really explain it. He was saying... Um, there's a friend of his, one of his best friends, who was angry at the developer of a game they like to play together. Now it's because the developer had put a tweet out saying, uh, the people who pay for free are the most entitled. And his friend was angry at the creator for saying that. But I was like, no, this is very true, son of mine. You will really find this. Those who contribute the least expect the most. Uh, and those who contribute the most are the ones who respect what you do the most. And they will allow you to do what you do and be grateful to you for it. You know what I mean? And that really, I really found that to be the case my whole life. You know, one great, if I had advice for anyone, it would be like, you know, put your price up. Whatever you're doing, if you're good, if you believe in what you're doing, you believe in your worth, then put your price up because keeping it down or putting it down to try and, to try and get business or whatever it is will get you the wrong kind of business. It'll get you the wrong kind of people and you'll be working with people who do not respect you or your time. I feel um, a fountainhead meaning wave coming on about artistic integrity and not compromising your creative ideals. Well, um, it's not about who's going to let me, is it? It's about <laughs> who's going to stop me. And that was uh, yes. also from the, the fountainhead. And I always you know, believe uh, that. And, and what you say about inspiration, I think, is doubly resonant um, when it comes to anthem you know people many people don't know that ayn rand wrote her dystopian novella about a dozen years before um george orwell published 1984 mm -hmm. and i think what makes this so special one of the things is that uh i mean she incorporates how people change language in order to control thought right so mm -hmm. you'll see that the the word i has been banished and that this leads to all kinds of uh corruption but the way that it reads is i mean there's a reason why she uh, titled it anthem so it really does uh come across as just something that sprang directly um from her soul and fr from her head and uh it's it's just it, it's just so powerful um it's, it's fully formed as it's fully formed yes. as a piece of music particularly i mean the whole thing works but then you get to chapter 11 and chapter 11 or part 11 or book 11 or however it is but is an anthem it is written in song it is written in verse it departs from her usual style of writing and becomes well that which it is titled uh, mm -hmm. i didn't change a single word no, I didn't have to. I didn't have to change a single word. I didn't have to like remove anything around or break anything up. It is as it is, and it is fully formed music. It is a fully formed three-part anthem as written. It was pretty, pretty amazing to discover. 
What's the response been? Yeah, I mean, because she is controversial. And so, yeah, I was, I mean, I don't do much in the way of expecting. <laughs> I've had experiences before where I've done things and people have been upset with me and um, wished death upon my family and, and threatened me and all sorts of things. Some people were really upset when I started, when I did stuff with Peterson and some people were very upset when I did a record with Scott Adams of all people. Um, someone was some weird, anyway, I don't want to talk about the individual, give them any kind of, but yeah, the weird people pop up. But anyway, on this one, what I've mostly had aside from people saying this is beautiful, I love this, da da da, it's people saying, I thought I didn't like this person, but I really like these songs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, you've gone and made me like this person now, or oh, I'd never thought of it that way, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of that sort of thing. Uh, particularly from the kind of, uh, maybe a lot of, I'd said this to you before, um, I, you know, I, I notice intersections with thinkers when I'm making these records. And I discovered, oh, there's an intersection between Alan Watts and Ayn Rand, which most people would never think to be the case. I found with one with uh, Marcus Aurelius, that makes a bit more, seems a bit more obvious. Uh, and thus, I noticed that. And then after having put it out into the world, I've been getting letters from people who are like, oh, I really love your Alan Watts stuff. And I really love this anthem thing. And I really didn't think I would. And da, 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 da. <laughs> I didn't think I would. All right. My most think, or maybe it's I didn't think audience. I was supposed to is what the thing because people get told you're not you're not going to you don't like this person this is a bad person they have bad ideas you're a good person so you would never even entertain them because you're a good person the person thinks yes I'm a good person I wouldn't entertain bad ideas so this person goes in the naughty pile and then they they rarely even actually look into the ideas they just assume they're bad I I get letters from people all the time expressing variations on this theme from multiple sides people who discover say the opposite who get into some of Watts's ideas think after having thought of themselves as very staunch conservative types and so on and so forth. Yeah. No, it's um interesting. And I think also even the average, you know, layperson who's never read any Ayn Rand, uh, or who maybe who have bought into uh again, just one of these lies that gets repeated that she's a horrible writer and that you can't listen to your music and deny the beauty of of those words okay most most patient audience um we're going to get to some questions now though i still have quite a few of my own um our friend my modern galt uh on instagram asks writers sometimes get writer's block is there an equivalent for you uh with music and what do you do to get past it yeah i haven't had anything like that since like 2017 or something uh, and there's a reason for that, which is I, I worked out, well, and everybody knows this, I didn't work this out, but I had observed that there is such a thing as the zone, which is a place, essentially. You can think of it as a place, and it's a place in which you're maximally creative and everything flows and, and, uh, and you can do no wrong and it's wonderful, right? And sometimes people find themselves in this place and it's fantastic. And then they leave the place and then they try and get back there and they have trouble and they have these blocks of which you speak, these blocks and so on and so forth and I thought to myself well what if I've been in the zone it's great in there I'm good at it what if I just got in that place and refused to leave and just stayed there <laughs> then I would never have to worry about a writer's block or anything like that right so I did this I engineered this very specifically and deliberately in February of 2018 and uh have have been there ever since and have not had any kind of writer's block or any of that sort of thing since uh I've made over 100 albums um going on 600 songs, uh, all of them excellent, some of them transcendently brilliant. Um, none of them I regret. It used to be the case that I would look back on my work and be like, oh, I don't like that, I changed that, da 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 Everything I've made since this period, I look back upon happily and fondly. I would certainly do it differently today because today I am different, but I do not look back at it with that kind of cringing embarrassment as one does <laughs> one's old diaries or something of that nature. So yeah, here's the, that's the thing, right? Is basically what you need to do is get in the zone and refuse to leave. And uh, what will mess with you is friction and overthinking. So you need to, there's lots of things. I should do a course on this, but uh, certainly you need to remove friction wherever it is. Anything that will get in the way or distract you or pull you out of that place. You need to be showing up every day. You need to be doing something related to your endeavor 
on a daily basis. So you're always in that place. Doesn't matter if you're tired or sick or confused or grumpy or whatever, whatever is going on, you need to show up. You don't sit around waiting for the muses. You go to where they live and you knock down the door and you go in there and you take what you want. And they will observe you and they'll go, huh, this person is serious. And after a while, they'll be like, okay, I like this person. And they will crack out the good shit and they will give mm -hmm. you access to the greatness, you know? So you want to be doing that. And you want to be listening to Meaning Wave. Um, yes, I think the lessons are within really, Definitely, the lessons are in it, but there's just also something about the experience of absorbing it that makes you more open to creative possibilities. All right, Jessica Sheffield. Creative possibilities, so yes. But just to finish that, sorry. Creative possibilities is a good point. And here's the thing is sometimes people get writer's block and stuff because they're just trying to do the same thing in the same way. There's lots of ways of doing things and many different approaches. And trying doing things in slightly different ways is, is very important. One aspect of being in the zone, which one thing that will get you out of the zone is becoming too comfortable and doing the same thing too much. You have to have an aspect of chaos and uncertainty in there to remain in that zone, proximal, glowing, glittering place. There has to be the capacity for complete failure. So people who get too competent fall out and lose their capacity for greatness, just in the same way that people have zero competence. Sometimes zero competence people can accidentally do something wonderful. Too competent people find it more difficult. So you always want to be right. introducing new ways of doing things, new tools, new techniques, whatever it is, to keep you in a place of potential catastrophe. Which means taking risks and being comfortable exactly with that. that and being, exactly. you know, uh, not so deathly afraid of, of failure that you don't take risks, having enough exactly. self-esteem to know if you fail, you will learn, you'll get up and you'll go on. And I think if I had one thing to credit the phenomenal growth of the Atlas Society, uh, in the past several years, it's been a willingness to take risks, a tolerance, and even embrace of, of mistakes, because um, that has helped us to innovate and other groups that just are doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, you know, I think when you feel like you've got what, what you have and it's working, the Atlas Society, we're always in startup mode. So we're always um, open to, to do, doing things differently. Uh, again, Jessica uh, Sheffield, who you remember dancing in the front row um, at the gala, uh, asks whether, Akira, you have any plans for additional concert shows in the United States and how we can find out about that. Yeah, next time Jagney wants me to do something, I'll do it. And uh, and you can look forward to that. Uh, nothing specific yet. Uh, I'm sure there will be. Uh, like I said, they've... You know you're allowed to visit the uh usa now uh without being injected so i can do that if i so wish <laughs> um there was initially it all got disrupted by all that stuff but we had planned to do a tour and uh, i still look forward to doing that um yeah but i've just just literally just finished building this studio here um so now we're going into full-blown mode yeah. in this new studio and we're going to be creating we're doing, going to be doing a lot of live broadcasts from here and uh then we're going to work on creating some opportunities to step into your lives into your real right. world lives yes the press uh... that button. <laughs> i need one of those i was going to um... say everyone should have one of these you should just be able to just press a button and, and create useful noises at a conclusion of your point it's a great way of just moving from subject to subject all right. Um, let's see. On Facebook, Candace Morena is asking, where do you think art comes from? Is it taught or does it come from within? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, Rand, I mean, you know, Rand probably wouldn't have liked my answer on this, which is a bit woo. Um, but I but I don't know if maybe she would. because She does say it. I mean, it's basically it is all within, but within contains everything that is without um the world is a, is a mirror and this is i think joseph campbell said this you know art holds a mirror up to nature and art holds a mirror up to yourself uh and it's a way by which you can navigate the world see where you are see where you are in context of the whole of society it's how you download the knowledge of the society that's what myth is you know so it's mm -hmm. it's it's kind of both uh our, we are taught our position within society by the art that we consume 
which is why they spend so much effort, Disney have spent so much effort propagandizing recently, and it's been such an utter failure as well, because uh, it's only true art that works and lasts and communicates, and propaganda does not, and uh, this is the problem they're having. So I suppose it's both. It is within, and everything you require is within you already. Uh, and as for that thing of which I speak, that place where one gets those ideas, the fifth dimension is considered by some, idea space by others, um, you know, the realm of the muses, whatever it is. It, you could think of it as something without that you can go into. You could think of it as something that is within you that you have to remember or have to sort of navigate towards. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. All these things are operating systems. Whichever way you can best utilize them to have the optimal experience in this realm of tears, then, then the better. But, or this benevolent universe. Uh, I, you know, yeah, Ayn exactly. Rand uh, called it's art God. recreation. It's God. That's well, what it is. That's what God is, you see. Uh, yes. Well, um, but as you had in the... Uh, in in your trilogy in in chapter eleven that that recognizing that the divine was not you know some kind of mystical character in the sky but it was you that that it's you a practical thing and that's in the Christian faith that's the point of Jesus everything is possible through my Son da 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 who is within you uh, you are here and all that sort of thing it's basically saying right. the same thing some people get stuck on the semantics or maybe and get the angry complete opposite thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let's go on to uh, another question because um, we have quite a few coming up. Uh, all right. Kindred Lyrics on X wants to know what's next for Meaning Wave. Uh, next for Meaning Wave, uh, immediate future. Uh, we've got uh, a big four hour Lo Fi Christmas record tomorrow. Um, and then we've got uh, Meditations 2. That's the big next. So that would be uh, the second volume of uh, incredible records uh, with lyrics adapted from the writings of Marcus Aurelius. And uh, this is an insanely great uh, record. I'm very flabbergasted by it. I was like straight into that. I think I was working on I was working on the writing of it. And then I did Anthem. And then Anthem infused me with an extra level of superpowers, which I then put into the finishing of Meditations and Meditations 2 came out uh, by far the most nuclear level glory I've ever had anything to do with. So as people will like that. And then there's right. lots of other wonderful things. We have a very stacked next year and year after and so on and so forth, ad infinitum forever and ever, amen. Amazing. Um, so Georgie Alexopoulos, picked up on something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, he's on Facebook and he said, when is Akira the Don masterclass? When will that be? Uh, well, Georgie, we, we might be able to make that happen. Make sure that you're following the Atlas Society. We, we have uh, a few conferences coming up, so we'll have to discuss this offline. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. So, you know, I, I also am curious about life in, in Mexico. Uh, it sounds like you got kicked out of the United States. How did you choose Mexico? What are the opportunities or challenges of living there as both a creative artist and as a family? Well, let me see. Um, let me unpack that. So when said we didn't get kicked out, well, we just didn't get let back in. I got given a new visa. It's, here's your new visa, Akira the Don, the alien of uh, extraordinary ability of visa. The one that says <laughs> you have to be in the country because no one else in the country can do what you do. To get the visa, you have to go out, go to an embassy, get it stamped, then you come back in. So we did that, but then we couldn't get back in because the Biden administration decided that it was uh, unsafe for scum like me to come in the country. Um, Anyway, we went to Mexico because I'd always wanted to go to Mexico for multiple reasons. Um, one was that I always really liked that movie, True Romance, and at the end they go to Cancun. Boom. <laughs> and um, so, uh, two was that I really liked uh, being in Mexico when I was playing Red Dead Redemption, uh, a video game that was very beautiful and a lovely experience. And lots of other things, cultural, musical, so on and so forth. So we're like, oh, we'll go to Cancun to go to the uh, embassy there. And then, of course, we got sort of unable to go back into the USA. And then we were like, well, we quite like it here. We'd found ourselves in Playa del Carmen and had very quickly made friends and found cool people and 
stuff of that nature. I'd started going to a CrossFit class and getting into the best shape I'd ever been anywhere near and so on and so forth. And then we thought, well, of all the places to be while all this is going on, this is rather wonderful. This paradise where, where we are specifically, um, you know, and life is as kind as you let it be, you know? So we're like, well, let's, we'll go with this and we'll make of this, you know, the best situation that we can. And it's turned out great. Uh, you know, it's difficult being in a place where you don't speak the language. I've been working on learning that, but it's very difficult to not be able to fully express oneself and crack jokes and elevators and things of that nature. I remember when I got my first joke off, I was so very, very happy, you know, in, um, it is in definitely Australia. challenging. I, you know, the, uh, Spanish and Latin American sense of humor and the American, um, to say nothing of the British sense of humor, they're, they're not always on. So I, I, I do speak, uh, Fairly passable Spanish, but um, I've yes. had quite a few fails when it comes to uh, trying to crack <laughs> jokes. All right. Um, yeah. We'll take a few more questions from the audience. I was used to it. Like I said earlier, I've, I've kind of always been, uh, you know, in a foreign place as long as I can remember. So I'm used to that. I don't have any problems with that. And I kind of thrive in that and enjoy that. And I very much enjoy uh, discovering other cultures. And it was cool being in Mexico because you hear all this stuff about Mexico and the, the way that it is presented, it really isn't the reality of it. It's well, certainly not what I have experienced of it. Um, you know, the only difficulty is it takes longer for stuff. To, but here's the one thing, because uh, as far as it being a third world country, in a lot of ways, it's run a lot better than bits of the United States that I was living in. And then other right. ways, not so much. The postal service is fucked. You cannot send a letter and expect it to get anywhere. And I've been into the post office and I look at the and it's just like piles of stuff. And they're like, oh, you could go have a look in that pile if you wanted or so on and so forth. The post office is a wonderful example of like allowing the government to run things and why that's just never a good idea. Just like in the USA, the DMV is the perfect example of why you should not let the government run things, you know. Right. Uh, all right. On Facebook, uh, Zach Carter asks, what is your biggest pet peeve when it comes to musicians creating music so your <laughs> gripes about the music industry or uh is it political correctness or people competing against each other uh, of course ayn rand said the creative man is not motivated by a desire to beat others but by the desire to achieve yeah here's the thing i don't give i really don't care I have no interest in what they're, they're doing. I don't even consider myself to be part of the music industry. Um, I've, I sort of opted out of all that and created my own one a long time ago. And that's all I've ever been doing. I'm only interested if, in, if in what I'm doing today is uh, better than what I was doing yesterday. And uh, that's all I'm interested in. However, other people want to conduct themselves and run their businesses you know that's fine uh, i like it when i'm inspired by people i'm like it when i when i encounter greatness in others and that inspires greatness in me when you see greatness in others what's cool about that it's that art it's like it's like that art mirror thing i was talking about because when you see greatness in someone else it's within you that's you recognizing something that's already in you and maybe you haven't worked out how to manifest it yet or maybe you haven't even noticed it in yourself yet but that's what that is and that's a cool thing. So I like it when I see musicians doing cool stuff. And um, otherwise, I really don't care. <laughs> All right. Um, this is an interesting question from LinkedIn. Timothy Rockford asking, how do you maintain positivity with a world that feels like it wants to push us down at times? Yeah, well, you just got to put things in context. Uh, so I think about my grandmother a lot and uh, everything that happened in her lifetime. You know, she was the eldest of 13. Her father worked in a coal mine. She, you know, raised her sisters, essentially. Uh, they lived in, in the Midlands, in uh, Dickensian sort of situation, sort of shit. And she saw wow. uh, the radio invented and saw the TV invented. And she was in World War II and she had a wonderful time. She really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, everything that she saw in her life and every, Throughout her life, the world was about to end. And throughout her life, evil people were conspiring against every other people. And throughout her life, uh, we were supposed to get wiped out a million times. Even in my own life, I remember when I was a little kid, it was all AIDS and uh, greenhouse things and blah, blah, blah. And you know, there's always, yet here we are. 
after hundreds and thousands of millions of years of which we all should have been blown up or wiped out or killed or something supposedly a million times here we are that the very fact of our existence uh how could one not be optimistic how could one not be grateful and full of joy to have working lights and communication systems that allow us to experience and communicate with each other and share ideas across this world that's supposed to be a prison yet here we are uh it's all it's all uh it's a miracle you know and if you if that's what you look for then that's what you'll get and we we humans are stupid like that we constantly have to remember we, we very quickly acclimatize to a new situation and start taking things for granted and we all have totally. to remind ourselves of these things like all the time and that's a big part of what i do with my music and uh yeah, but that's it. It's just context. Just the, the fact that you're not scrubbling around in the dirt, the fact that you can step outside and someone's not throwing a brick at your face, you know, the fact that there's running water and there's electricity, that's a miracle. You, your ancestors didn't have that stuff. Like mm -hmm. whatever, we may, we look back, we go, oh, it was so much better in the trad days of whatever, what, when you died in childbirth and you had, you know, rich people had wooden teeth. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, it's uh, it's true. I think Peter Diamandis says, whatever you focus on, you uh, move toward. And so um, I like to say that to be objective, you have to have perspective. And given that we have as human beings, this kind of biological uh, evolutionary tendency to focus on threats and negativity, that's not necessarily giving you an objective perspective on what's happening in the world. So you have to kind of make a conscious effort to override that by recognizing what's going right in your life, even if it's you're going through a really hard time, because um, that will give you a sense of uh, you know, what your strengths are so that you can gather your strength and, and find a way to move on. So gratitude it's a very important, and I think it's an objectivist, uh, self-interested value. Um, yeah, all right. Exactly. I'll take one more here. Well, it's two. Okay. Two last questions. Cause they're so good. Um, Alan, uh, 67 on X asks, what do you think someone needs to get started with making music today? Uh, Asking of you... the man who started with, uh, scotch tape and, and cassettes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you, whatever you have around you, maybe there is a table and you could bang it rhythmically. You might have a computer, lots of people do, I've heard. And in a contemporary computer is everything, is more than was in the most sophisticated recording studio a decade or so ago. So you have everything. You have too much. I think that's what freaks people out. They have too much. It's like looking at, a, at Netflix or something. There is too much choice. What do I do? Where do I start? Uh, you know. I just worked personally I didn't have that issue I just worked things out for myself and therefore I made lots of mistakes and spent a lot of time unnecessarily doing things wrong but it did allow me to create a style that, of my own that I otherwise could not have. These days you can go on YouTube and you can watch people making music and they'll be using digital audio workstations or they'll be using hardware watch a bunch of people making stuff see what what you what looks intuitive to you pick one of these things and just go all in on it. Uh, there's every resource for you to learn how to do these things. You can become very uh, proficient very, very quickly. There's people, there's 12 year olds uh, in India who will teach you everything for free, you know? Uh, and there's 12 year olds in, 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 in the USA as well. There's 12 year olds all over the place. They've got internet connections and they really like showing people how to do stuff. And here's the other thing, it's not just 12 year olds, there's like 68 year old professional geniuses and they just have youtube channels now they'll show you how to do everything it's crazy uh so yeah but oh here's one thing when you start don't stop just make something every day and just keep going uh because you will learn a lesson from each thing and so if you do a thing every day you'll learn a new lesson and you'll very quickly get a lot more proficient I think, uh, oh, there she is. Yeah. Sorry, I'm back. All right. The, the She's final back. <laughs> I thought Amazing. it was you. You know, this is actually a really great example of I'm uh, thinking, oh, he's in Mexico. Oh, you know, his internet ah. must be crap. No, no. I'm here in, in Malibu, California, and uh, and it's me. I've actually um, got we better just... internet here than I've had anywhere in my life. You understand? Wow. I got 300 uh, upload. 
I got a 300 meg upload. Like they don't got stuff like this in Tokyo. Well, you know, I mean, I think that was, in a way was sort of the theme of, of our gala. We imported the entire um, complement of, of speakers almost from Mexico because we had Ricardo Salinas. You and, did. You know, all of the amazing um, innovations that he's bringing that are uh, providing opportunity and modernizing people, um, modernizing life in, in Mexico. Um, mm. All right. My last question. Well, it's actually a last question from our audience. We were taught you were talking about 12 year olds when I decided uh, or I didn't decide my computer decided that I was going to bug out. And um, somebody asked about whether uh, having children has um, how that let's mm. see. Uh, Alex Morena asking, did starting a family change anything in your life when it comes to your music? Yeah, it did. Because, uh, you know, starting a family and uh, having uh, a son, um, it caused me very, very quickly to get my shit together. So previously, <laughs> I was kind of, right. you know, faff being a faffy around the artist, sort of following my whims in this direction and that direction and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, having a family and taking on that responsibility made me realize uh, that I really needed to get my shit together in all manner of areas, albeit financial and organizational and health-wise and physicality and all sorts. You have to become, they will, you know, they don't, they don't pay attention to what you say, they pay attention to what you do. Aside from the fact that you need to provide and all that sort of thing, you, you, they will model everything upon you. So if you don't want some like loser child, then you're going to have to not be a loser yourself, you know? Uh, so anyway, direct result of this was me sorting myself out in all manner of areas, which led to better, more and better, more competent, more uh, technically good, more just better in every level of music. Uh, sorting myself out meant my music improved uh, just ridiculously, unimaginably uh, on every level. And this continues to be the case as I continue to uh, improve and sort things out because there is a great deal that still work still to do and there will be and then it'll, then i'll die and that will be that <laughs> you know it'd be great well it'll be that that's true um although you'll be inspiring people i'm sure just as the so many of the collaborations and ayn rand has inspired you so um your your art will will live on um this is true what we, we do echoes on right if we choose to do something useful it will echo on I think about Marcus Aurelius thousand, you know, nearly 2000 years ago, uh, writing in his little diary and how to this day still that very specifically, and he's talking in it about how no one will remember anyone in like, you know, two generations, you'll be completely forgotten. Might be the case for a lot of people, but you, Mr. Aurelius, you, we, we remember you. God bless. And as he said, uh, to remember death. And so to remember that, you know, our time mm -hmm. is limited and we need to, uh, use it productively. And so um, with that limited time... Well, he actually um, said one thing he said was if you do not use it to free yourself, it will be gone and will never return. He, you know, wow. he said things about productivity, but specifically that if you do not take this opportunity to free yourself, it will be gone and never return. I love it. All right. Yes. So uh, folks, go to Akira's uh, website, um, sign up for his music uh, newsletter, buy his music and um, buy his amazing merch. And uh, any other place that people should keep track of you, Akira? I do my best to be wherever people are. There's no point having a lemonade stand and sticking it at the top of Everest and expecting everybody to come to the top of Everest and get you a lemonade, you know what I mean? So I do my best to make to uh, be where people are. So if you hang out on YouTube, we're there. If you hang out on Spotify, we're there. If you're one of these people who refuses to do anything but scroll on an Instagram story feed, you will find us there. Uh, awesome. We do our best to be where you might be. And if you are somewhere and we are not there, please do let me know and we'll see what we can do. Terrific. All right, well... Thank you, my dear. Uh, say hello to Charlotte for me. And um, this was so much fun. Thank you for your phenomenal gift of your art and how you've um, enriched so many people's lives and uh, excited for your next creative chapter. We will be staying tuned. So thank you. Namaste. Okay, gracias. And uh, gracias, thanks Jenny. to...
<laughs> I know. I love that. I, I go by Jag, but I think I'm going to need to trade that in for Jagney. That's definitely yes, you always superior to me. <laughs> I like it. Um, all right. Well, and I want to also just thanks all, all of you who joined us. Thanks again for uh, the little bit of tech, technological disruptions. Thanks for your patience. Uh, if you enjoyed this video or any of the content uh, that we put out at the Atlas Society, remember we are a nonprofit um, and all of your donations are tax deductible. If you've never given to the Atlas Society, uh, even a 10 or $20 donation will be doubled by our board of trustees. So Thanks for your consideration. And I hope that you will join us next week when the president of the University of Austin, Pano Canelos, is going to join us on the Atlas Society Asks. Thanks. <laughs>